first reading from Scripture is from Leviticus 12, verses 1 through 8, and that will be found on page 90 in the Bibles in your pews. Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. This is part of the law that Mary and Joseph were fulfilling right after Jesus' birth when they traveled to Jerusalem. It says in Leviticus 12, verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days. And at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean, as in the time. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy or come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean for two weeks, as in her, menstru- in her menstruation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, She shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering, and he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her her who bears a child, either male or female, and if she cannot afford a lamb... Then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. This is the word of the Lord. Now our New Testament reading is from Luke chapter 2, and this is immediately following the passages we read on Christmas Eve about the birth of Jesus and about the angels going to the shepherds and announcing And the last verse before the one I'm going to read in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, or in 20, it says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God, for they they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So it was right after the shepherds leave, we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 21 through 32, and this is on page 857 of your Bibles. At the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child, Jesus, To do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God, saying, Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. So this was a particularly encouraging Christmas for Julie and I. We had all six of our children in. The two that are married came with their spouses, one from Florida and one from Memphis. The two that are in college at UT, who we never see, came. (laughs) And um, then the two that live at home were there as well. So we had all of us together in one place, which was a total blessing. And all six of my children are here today, so it's a blessing as well. In fact, today on the 29th happens to be Julie and mine anniversary. And we were married on the 29th, 29 years ago. So this is our golden anniversary. So we have much to be thankful for this Christmas. But what I want to talk about this morning is the gift of Christ. We said on Christmas Eve that he was the true gift of Christmas. And we're going to see from this passage how Christ is the true gift of Christmas, how he provides for us what we could not provide for ourselves. How God has offered to us freely a righteousness that we could not accomplish on our own. God has given us the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to recognize him as the Messiah and to receive him as our Savior and our Lord. And then he does that so that we might pass that gift on to others. So I want to show you all three of these things from this passage today. Well, first I want to give you some of the context. I had mentioned that They went to Jerusalem. So first, he was born in Bethlehem, of course, and the shepherds came and they left. And then eight days later, he was circumcised. And it says he was circumcised in accordance with the law, because that was required for the male children to be circumcised after eight days. And then it was required for the mother of the child to go to Jerusalem and offer the sacrifice to the Lord 33 days later. So Jesus was less than six weeks old, and his parents walked from, on a short walk from Jerusalem, from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. According to Google Maps, it's about a two-hour walk. I've never made it. But they went and they took the baby Jesus in order to fulfill this law of purification. And the scripture that we read makes it really clear. It says in 22, look at Luke chapter 2 with me, verse 22. And when they came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. And now he's referring to another law that was given, one I didn't read. It's from Exodus 13, which requires that every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. It says in Exodus 13, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male The firstborn offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me. And so they're fulfilling not only this law concerning Mary and her purification, but also this law of taking Jesus, their firstborn child, to be consecrated to the Lord. And so they quote that here in Luke 2. It says, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord or set apart. And then in verse 24, to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, you, you may have noticed from the Leviticus passage I read that it was required that she would offer a lamb and a, and a dove or a pigeon. Unless she couldn't afford a lamb or a dove or a pigeon, 
Because it says if she could not afford that, the lamb, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for the burnt offering and one for the sin offering. And so that's what they did. They offered the two turtle doves or the two pigeons or because she couldn't afford the lamb because they were a poor couple with this newborn baby. They were barely making ends meet. This was before the wise men had came and given them gifts. Um, so anyway, they went, again, six, Jesus is six weeks old, and they take him to Jerusalem. They take him to consecrate him and to offer the sacrifice for Mary's purification. And it says to do for him, Jesus, all according to the custom of the law. And that's in verse 27. And then if you skip down to verse 39, which I didn't read, it says when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned. And so I want you to see that this passage, by referring to God's law over and over again, it's making it very clear that this was a big deal to them. They were very careful to, from the time of Jesus' birth, to fulfill all the laws that he might live righteously before God his Father, that he might live this perfectly righteous life. And we know from the rest of Scripture that that's what he did. From the time, again, he was an infant to the time he was a To the time of his death, he lived this perfectly righteous life, fulfilling all the requirements of the law and doing it with perfect motives. He did it in love for God and others. Now, I have a friend that's an Eagle Scout, and he lent me his sash. Now, each of these sashes, each of these badges on his merit badge sash stand for the fact that he's earned, when he was a while back, He earned merit according to the scout laws and rules. He did all that was required by the law of scouting to earn these badges. And these badges show that he earned the badges for these particular, you know, in these particular categories. Now, my family and I, the day after Christmas, we took a walk to the Walker Sisters' cabins in in the Smoky Mountains. And it was about a four-mile total walk which is a pretty wimpy hike, as hikes go. But it was, it was challenging enough for us. Well, to get the hiking merit badge, that would just fall so short of what you would need to do according to the, the, the rules. It says that you need to take one five-mile hike, three 10-mile hikes, one 15-mile hike, And by the way, you can stop for short rest periods as you needed or take a meal, but you can't stop overnight. You can't like drag it out. It has to be in one day. You also have to take a hike of 20 continuous miles in one day following a hike plan that you've prepared. You have to study um, hiking safety and you have to write a report about each hike that you took and the weather and the things that you saw and what happened. It's difficult to get each of these badges it's difficult to fulfill the law of scouting to get to achieve these merit badges. Well, pretend for a moment that you had made some terrible sin against the Boy Scouts of America. Pretend that you were banned for life from ever being a scout because of your standing with this organization. But then think for a moment what it might be like if they forgave you of your sins against um, the scouting institution, the Boy Scouts of America. And they said, okay, now you can be a scout and you can wear the uniform with pride. 
welcome into our organization. But then more than that, not only did they forgive you of those sins and allow you in, they presented you the badges of an Eagle Scout. And they said, you can wear this. Not, it's, it's just and right. We're going to give you this, we're going to give you credit for each of these badges. It's certainly not fair, but they somehow made it just and right that you would have credit for each of these merit badges that you did not deserve, that you did not earn, but you received these badges so that when scouting looked at you, they saw you as a member in good standing, wearing the uniform with pride, and then also having credit for all this merit that someone else had accomplished on your behalf. Well, it's obvious, hopefully, that that analogy is what I'm trying to get you to see is what Christ has given us in this beautiful gift of Christmas. The Father himself forgave us because of Christ's perfect, perfectly righteous life lived and then offered to us as a sacrifice on the cross so that our sin was credited to him. There's a theological word called double imputation where our sin is imputed to him or counted to him and then he receives the punishment for that on the cross and that his righteousness, the credit for his perfectly lived life and fulfilling of all the laws and all the, everything he did and with perfect motives, those are given to us are imputed to us. So it's not just that we're brought from this great debt where we don't deserve to be in his presence to a place where we are forgiven and kind of had a neutral place, but instead we're given Christ's place, that we're reckoned with the righteousness of his son, we're reckoned as his son and his daughter in love and, res- and looked at with his righteousness. Two scriptures I want to just read briefly to kind of remind us of that. From 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's that first part of this equation. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in Philippians 3, 8 and 9, it says, he count, Paul counts all these things as rubbish in order that I may be, gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's, that's Philippians 3, 8 and 9. That's the gift that has been given to us in Christ, the righteousness of Christ. When we were sitting around at our Christmas table at the end of dinner, I asked if anyone had a question to ask. That's something we do once in a while as we go around and all answer the same question just for a way to listen to what each other thinks. And so my daughter Lydia asked the question. She said, what concert would you go to if you could go see any group Anyone that ever performed, what concert would you pick to go to? And then the second one, what is your greatest fear? And so we had concerts like Beyonce and the Beatles, John Denver, Elvis, to name a few. And then our greatest fears went around, which were interesting. And my my son-in-law's fear, Alan, he said, 
He said, my greatest fear is being incompetent, to be found incompetent either at work or in school or as a husband. And I thought that's, that's so insightful because that's a fear that every one of us has at some level, to be found incompetent, to be found lacking. And I think part of the reason that's a universal fear is because we all know that according to God's standard of righteousness, according to the law to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength, according to that law that God clearly sets out in Scripture, we all fall short. None of us live up. You know, we're taking the four-mile hike versus the, all the requirements of the badges. Um, half the time, I don't even make it to four miles. Anyway, God has given to us this beautiful gift of Christ's righteousness, something that we could not accomplish on our own. I'm going to take just a moment and ask you to think about that just, just a brief moment, and to receive that, in a sense, from God as you picture and remember what he's done for you in Christ, this gift of Christmas. Just take a moment and talk to God. So this first thing that we've seen from this passage is that from the very beginning, Jesus fulfilled all the laws and all the righteousness that he would be a gift to us. And our second thing we're going to see is that the Holy Spirit is the one that opens our eyes to recognize and receive this gift of Christmas. It was um, a couple days before Christmas, and we were setting out all the presents under the tree, and we had wrapped up, you know, and there came out of bags and boxes, and there were two small little boxes in the bag, bottom of a Kroger shopping bag that were crumbled up with some other Kroger bags that were meant to go out to the trash. And I reached down in the bottom of the box and I kind of felt and checked and I realized, oh, wait a minute, there's these two jewelry boxes here that were gifts for my daughter. And it would have been fairly easy to overlook them. And sometimes the most valuable gifts are overlooked. Um, Simeon was in the temple that day, and he could have easily overlooked Jesus as the Messiah. You see, Jesus was an ordinary baby, about six weeks old, and he was being brought into the temple by his parents, and there would have been other babies being brought by other parents, and there were other people and other commotion, and it would have been very easy for Simeon to not recognize this gift of Christmas, but he did because the Holy Spirit opened his eyes. Look back at Luke 2 with me, and notice how it's very clear here. Look at verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it says, the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And it says, he came in the Spirit into the temple. So the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him that he would see this this Messiah before he died. And the Holy Spirit is the one who moved him that particular day, at that particular hour, to be in the temple, be in the right place at the right time. And it says, he goes on to, um, it goes on to say that the Lord 
Now, he can say to the Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. This is verse 29, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He recognized and he received this child as the Messiah, which is pretty remarkable. But it's because the Holy Spirit had opened his eyes to that. You know, we know from Scripture that this child, Jesus, was not, um, he was not glowing he didn't have a halo. He wasn't, you know, there weren't trumpets. You know, it wasn't like in some picture that you see in, in an art gallery of Jesus. He was just an ordinary looking child. Um, it says in Isaiah, when it's describing him as a prophecy about what he would be like, it says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Simeon recognized this normal baby as anything but normal. He recognized him as the Messiah, and he says, Now, Lord, I can depart in peace, for I've seen your salvation. This was his ultimate bucket list item. Now he could depart in peace, for he had seen the Lord's salvation. And that's, you know, the same prayer that each of us should have, is that the Spirit, that God would grant us his Spirit, that God would fill us with his spirit, that God would open our eyes to recognize and receive this gift of Christmas. Not just someone that is talked about in the books or someone that our parents believed in or someone that we, you know, to recognize and receive him as our Messiah and as our Lord. And to do that each day, to do that over and over again. It says in John, when Jesus is describing the spirit, It says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So you see its effects, but you don't see it. It'd be like the, you know, the wind blowing through the trees and you notice the leaves moving or the plastic bag being blown across the parking lot at a grocery store. You see the effects of the Spirit, but you don't see the Spirit. And that's the, what I want each of us to pray, is that God would fill us with His Spirit and open our eyes to recognize and receive Christ, this true gift of Spirit, of Christmas. But take a moment now and talk to God about that. So we've seen, first of all, that we receive Christ's righteousness, and second of all, as given to us as a free gift, and second of all, we see that from this passage, it's the Holy Spirit that opened Simeon's Simeon's eyes, and it's only by the Holy Spirit that we could know and believe. But then I want you to look at the fact that Simeon doesn't just take this joy of having seen the Messiah and go back home in peace, which he could have. But he recognized right from the beginning that this gift wasn't simply for Simeon, and it wasn't simply for the Israelites, but it was for the whole world, even as it's not simply for us or for our body, but for the whole world. Look in verse 31. It says that 
my eyes have seen your salvation, that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and for your glory, Israel. So he says right from the beginning, this, is, this child is the salvation of the world. This child who would live in righteousness and offer himself as a perfect sacrifice for you and for me, he's not simply for us. This gift of Christmas is for the whole world, for everyone. My hope is that God would use each of us as we seek him this Christmas and as we seek him now in 2020 to know him and to make him known, to know him and to make him known. It's my prayer for us individually and it's my prayer for us as a body as we enter into this new year, that we would know him and make him known. That's what Simeon did right from the beginning. He proclaimed for all that would hear. And if you read on, you read that Anna, the same thing. The Holy Spirit opened her eyes. She recognized him as the Messiah and she would speak to anyone that would listen to know him and to make him known. As we finish our time in God's word this morning, I want to give you a chance now to respond to God in that way as well, that you would ask him maybe to show you some specific ways that in 2020 you could know him and make him known, whether it's spending time in his word or memorizing scripture or time in prayer, who you could speak to, who you could tell. You know, the, for each of us, what it means to be a witness is to, to, to witness what God has done for us and then to tell others. Well, God has done so much for us. He's given us a righteousness we couldn't have on our own. He's given us the spirit that would open our eyes and our heart to recognize and receive this Messiah. But the purpose isn't, again, for us alone. It should be the gift that keeps on giving. One of the gifts I've got this Christmas was a frying pan, kind of a fancy frying pan. And it's not for me to use for myself, like to come down and make my eggs and, you know, it's for me to use to serve others. That's the whole reason it was given, is to, be, to, to serve others and to share that gift. Well, that's the whole reason Christ has saved you, is that you would share that gift and be a witness for others. So take a few minutes now as, as we respond to God's word, And I'll close this in prayer after I give you a few minutes and think specifically, how specifically can we make sort of a spiritual resolution to know him and to make him known this next year? Father, I pray that you would use us, each of us, wherever we go, to witness to what you've done for us, that you would blow in us with your spirit, that you would fill us, that you would guide us, and that you would lead us to know you, to worship you, and to make you known, to speak of what you've done for us, to tell others what you've shown us at this gift that you've given to us in Christ. We ask all these things 
In Christ's name, amen.